Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. So this morning, I just want to get straight into this. Um, Pastor James asked me if I would talk about faith this morning. Who likes faith? I've got to say, of all the topics, this is, um, this is one of my favorite. And uh, you're going to have to pray for this guy today because um, I wander a bit when I preach. So we're going to keep him really busy. <laughs> Poor guy. So um, I love talking about faith. It's one of my favorite topics. And the Bible says that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And if your life is like a car, then love is the petrol that fills up your tank. Hope is the destination that you're going to. But faith is the engine that's going to get you there. What faith does is hooks in to hope and it pulls you towards the hope that you have in your life. So faith is massively important. And in Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is the best definition of faith. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. How many people know that you can, be, you can hope for something but not have confidence that it's going to happen? I mean, like, I hope someone's going to give me a million bucks. Anyone else? I'm so glad that you hope that they're going to give me a million bucks. That's awesome. I mean, I hope. But I don't have confidence that this is going to happen. I hope that Arsenal is finally going to knock Liverpool off the, off the EPL, you know, the English Premier League, you know, or that Liverpool isn't going to win this year. But I don't have confidence in that. Isn't it funny, actually, until just a few weeks ago, people would say, I hope the Blues will win this weekend. <laughs> and they've been on this winning streak, amen? It's been incredible. You know, and it's been stunning for me how many, suddenly, how many Blues fans there are that have suddenly all come out. Where have they been all over these last few years? That's what I want to know. But when you hope for something, and although you can't see it yet... You've got this internal conviction, this unshakable, unbreakable conviction that you can just see it. You know, it, it may not exist yet, but in your mind's eye, in your heart, it's like you're already living there. Friends, that's what faith feels like. And the Bible tells us that faith can move mountains. You just need a little bit of this in your life, and you can see phenomenal things take place in your life. Faith moves mountains. And I believe that we're called to be a people of faith because we serve a God of faith. Amen? You know, God is the one who looks at things that are not, and He calls them as though they are. He's the one who makes a way where there seems to be no way. He's the one who makes streams in the desert. He brings the dead back to life. This is what our God, when it's impossible, God starts rolling up his sleeves and saying, now I'm excited. And what I reckon is that God wants to raise us up as people, as his kids, to go into every sphere of life and to bring hope where there is no hope. Can I get an amen on that, church, this morning? I really believe that we're meant to model him. So we go into places where there's no hope and we say, listen, don't despair. Because I know somebody who can fix this. I know somebody who can make a way where there is no way. Sometimes people say to me, but you don't know my workplace. You don't know my family. I want to say this morning, you don't know my God. He rolls up his sleeves at impossible things and he loves it. And not only that, but God himself is highly attracted to faith. He, it's like a magnet to him. Do you understand that when you read through the New Testament, you see that God doesn't respond to need. He responds to faith. It's true. Jesus didn't respond to need. He responded to faith. He was looking for faith. 
He came along the Roman centurion. He said, I have not seen anyone with such great faith. You could see Jesus was attracted to this guy. Give me a wave this morning if you want more of the presence and power of God around your life. Yeah, good, good. Pentecostal church, amen. <laughs> Glory to God. We do. And here's how you do it. You do it by growing in faith. Because the more faith that you're carrying in your life, the more the presence and power of God is attracted to you. So we want to grow in faith today. And I want to, I've got a phrase uh, just to share this morning, which I'm going to uh, speak out of. And uh, this phrase is, just simply says this. It says, who I am determines what I see, determines what I do. Who I am, everyone say who I am, who I am. determines what I see, Determines what, I do. determines what I do. We'll say it once more. Who I am, Who I am. determines what I see, determines what I, see. Determines what I do. I was reading a book recently and it was talking about uh, a number of years ago in San Francisco, there was a, a school there, a large school, and the principal of that school summoned three teachers into his office from that school. And he said to them, you three are the very best teachers that we have in this school. And because you guys are the best teachers, what we want to do is we want to match you up with 90 of the very best students that we have in this school. And so the teachers were excited. And, uh, and he said, you guys are going to have a year to work with these very best students. And at the end, we want to do a little bit of a test and kind of see what the results are with everybody else in that year. So the teachers were excited because they were going to get to te you know, teach the best students. The students were excited because they were, they were identified as the best students and getting to work with the best teachers. And you know, the parents were excited because finally their little geniuses were getting recognized. <laughs> Anyway, so they had this whole year, and at the end of the year, the, uh, the kids scored 20 to 30% on average better than everyone else in their year. It was phenomenal. And so then the principal calls the teachers back into his office at the end of the year, and he says, I have a confession to make. The 90 kids that we gave you were not the best 90 kids in the school. They were just all average run-of-the-mill students. Wow. We just picked them randomly. And so the teachers were really, you know, full of pride and think, wow, we must have been really good to have taught them. And he goes, oh, I've got another confession to make. You three aren't the best teachers. He said, your names were simply just drawn from a hat. But isn't it interesting, because they believed that they were the best teachers and because the students believed that they were the best students... Something shifted, something moved. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's one of those lists. It's not a nice list. It's a list of sins. It's a list of bad things. It's kind of a, uh, dare I say it, an Israel Folau kind of list. <laughs> and, you know, it's full of a whole bunch of things. It's, you know, it's, you know, uh, it's got drunkenness. It's got licentiousness. It's got sexual immorality. It's got greedy. It's got uh, a whole bunch of really bad things that are kind of on this list. And Paul's talking to the Corinthian church, and he lists this list of things, and then he says at the end, this is what some of you were. This is what you came from. This is where you were. But, he says, you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. How many know that... We have to move from where we were to where we are now. That when God looks at your life, that he doesn't see any longer where you were, but the plans and the purposes that he's got for your life are about where you are. And we've got to get our eyes off our condition, friends, and onto our position. Amen? 
We've got to begin to understand that we, are, we once were sinners. We once were far away from God. That may have been our lifestyle. And you know what? From time to time, we may still struggle with things back there. That old life continues to creep in sometimes and pull us back into it. And if you find that, then that's okay. You're human. But let me tell you the truth this morning, friends. It's not about who you were. It's about who you are. And your God now looks at you. He looks at your life. And he's excited about it. He's stoked about your life. And he's not wanting you to spend your life looking at your condition. He wants to talk to you about your position. Because your condition can go up and down. But let me tell you, your position today is secure in Christ. Totally. And there's this wonderful song that's going around at the moment. Maybe you've heard it. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, God. You're not against me. I am who you say I am. Who loves that song? Isn't that a great one? And it's a great song, and we love singing it. Why? Because it's declaring a truth over our lives. Every time we sing that that song, we reaffirm not our condition, but we reaffirm our position in Christ whenever we sing in that song. And uh, just as an aside, sometimes when you come to church, and I've, I've uh, had um, particularly new people to church, uh, new Christians who've, uh, who've come into church, and they've said to me from time to time in our worship times, it's like, why did you sing the chorus like 16 times? You, why can't you just sing it twice like everybody else? Why do you sing the chorus over and over again? And you know what? There's a reason why in churches we sing these choruses again and again and again. And it's not because the, the hidden CD player behind the, the worship team got you know, caught on an endless loop. <laughs> There's a reason we sing them again and again. It's because the Word of God mixed with music is powerful and it gets into our hearts and it gets into our minds. And it's wonderful for us to be able to come along on a Sunday morning and to sing a song like, you know, who's the sunset's free. It's free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who, I, who you say I am. How many know that's powerful when the church comes together and we worship like that and we agree on those words? But how many know it's even more powerful when on Wednesday, when everything's going wrong in your world, and when life's hard, and everything's hitting the fan, at that moment, when in the middle of that, that song that you sang again and again and again on Sunday starts to rise up, and in that moment, you start saying, God, you are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. You see, the reason we sing these things again and again is to get them into our hearts and our spirits, not just to create a good atmosphere on Sunday, but so that they come back to us on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday. So until we know who we are, what we'll find is that we'll find ourselves begging God for what he's already placed into our hands. We'll be, we'll be coming to him and saying, you see, God has already released so much. Until, until we know the, the authority and the power that God has placed into our lives as children of God, we're going to keep asking him for stuff that he's actually already released. He's already put it into our lives. You know, sometimes you have people who've been walking with Jesus for years and years and years, and when crisis comes, they haven't learned how to go to God, so they go running to other people. You know why? Because they still look at themselves as a sinner. They still look at themselves as unworthy. I can't come to God, so what I'll do is I'll go running to the pastors. I'll go running to the ministry team. I'll go running to somebody who looks like they've got a relationship with God, and I'll say, please, please will you talk to God on my behalf? I don't know if I can, I can approach him, but if I come to you, maybe you can pray for me. 
You know, and when we start off, that's not a bad thing. But I want to tell you, friends, if you've been walking with God for a few years, Jesus Christ died to give you direct access to Him. Not through someone else. Not through a PA. He died to put the direct access phone in your hand. So can I say this morning, pick up the freaking phone and call Him. <laughs> Ring Him. He died to give you direct access. Not through someone else, amen? You know, and, you know, other times we can find ourselves almost like outside knocking on the door of the house. Oh, please, God, let me in. Let me in. Do you understand? You own the whole house. You don't have to ask for permission to come in. You own the house. You walk in. You sit on the couch. Go to the fridge. Open it up. Take some food out. Eat it. This is your house. Everything that God, He has laid a banquet before you. And when the more that you understand who you are in Christ, the more you can begin to access the power that He's given you. So it's just, it's, it's vital. And so I am who you say I am. If we're going to move in faith, we've got to get this issue sorted. And then who I am then determines what I see. Everyone say what I see. There's a movie called The Great Outdoors. It's an old movie. Um, it's a comedy. And uh, it's not a brilliant movie. But it had this one scene in it, which is, which is pretty good. Well, it's not even that great a scene, to be honest. But it, it just helps with my message this morning, so that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> just being brutally honest today. There's these two guys, and they're sitting out, and, and there's this massive um, kind of like uh, you know, forest and lakes and everything. And they're sitting out in a cabin looking over this massive forest and lakes. And the first guy's a bit of a visionary, and he turns around to the second guy, and he goes, what do you see? And the second guy goes, what do you mean? And he goes, what do you see? He says, I'll tell you what I see. He says, I, I see billions of dollars worth of forestry exports right here. I see paper mills. You know, if, uh, if the strategic minerals are in the ground, I see mining. And I see down there over by the lake condominiums. And I see people coming and this place being filled. And that's what I see when I look out there. What do you see? And the other guy looks and goes, I see trees. Here's my question. What do you see when you look at your life? What do you see when you think about your life? Do you just see everything just continuing as normal? Do you see the same problems that you dealt with yesterday just continuing to plague today and on into tomorrow? Do you just see a continual uphill push and just going round and round and round and nothing ever changing and this kind of this little small life? What do you see when you look at your life? I have here this morning a peanut. And I've got a peanut here for two reasons. Number one is that if you remember nothing else from this morning's message, you'll at least remember the fact that in the middle of the message I bought a peanut out of my pocket. <laughs> but the reason that I'm holding the peanut this morning actually is it's, it's, it's symbolic. You see, over 100 years ago there was a gentleman called George Washington Carver. Has anyone heard of him? Yes. Yeah, incredible guy spirit-filled man, and he was a scientist. And so what he did was every single day he went into his laboratory and he would pray and he would say to God, show me how to work with the creation that you've given me, you know, that you've put into human hands. And so he took hold of the peanut. And you know, when you look at a peanut, it's, it looks pretty in inconsequential, right? I mean, what is, is it good for eating, you know, or possibly allergy attacks? So if you are allergic this morning, I'm only holding it in this hand. I'll pray for you with that one. But the, the fact is, though, that as a result of him waiting on the Lord and getting God's vision, he was able to derive over 23 
kind of milk products out of the one peanut. Not only that, but he was also able to use peanuts to de develop and work on over 200 products for sale that all came from the studies that he did on this one little thing. Isn't that incredible? And here's the point I want to make. Sometimes our life can feel pretty insignificant. Sometimes we look and we're like, it's just little old me. I'm just doing what I'm doing. But I want to tell you this morning that when you start to look at your life with the eyes of faith, and you start to realize the huge potential that is locked up in your life and what God has put in there, then suddenly you begin to see the opportunities. The doors start swinging open. The life starts coming in because you begin to see your life the way that God has made it to be. Just like this little peanut looks inconsequential. Sometimes we think, man, my life is so inconsequential. I want to tell you that a life where you begin to stand up, you say, I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And then you begin to open your eyes and start looking at the opportunities God has put around you. When you start living like that, you're going to live a life that is anything but inconsequential. Things are going to start to happen. Things are going to start to move. But we've got to start opening our eyes and saying, Lord, help me to see who I am. And then let who I am begin to change what I see. It begins to affect what it is that we see. This is why I'm a big believer in daily devotions. I really, you know, I pray in the mornings and I've, I get up early in the mornings and I do this regularly, not because I'm a pastor and I'm paid to, I'm paid to do it, but I do it because what I find is that when I regularly spend time in the Word of God and, and, and regularly spend time praying, not only does it feed me, but it starts to open my eyes. I start to see opportunities where I couldn't see opportunities before. I start to realize that actually my God actually is for me. And sometimes my life can feel so small and inconsequential, but when I start to pray and I start to spend time in His presence, He opens my eyes and I begin to see the magnitude of what is immediately around. And you know what? It's nothing special about me. He wants to do the same in every single person's life here this morning. God wants to help you see and unlock the huge potential that is sitting in latent in your life today. And I believe that for every single Christian. We're not just called to just kind of merely get by in life, friends. We're called to impact the world. We're called to change this place. We're called to infect others with the goodness that God has given us. And we can do that as we start to open our eyes. And one of the best ways of doing that is starting to spend that regular time with God. So when you know who you are, and you start to see as God sees, that's when things really start moving in the realm of faith. So who I am determines what I see. But then what I see determines what I do. How many know that faith is dead without works? If there's no action, if there's nothing that comes out of my life, then my faith is dead. My faith is evidence by the fact that there's actually something, that I'm doing something as a result. When I was eight years old, I went on a school camp, and uh, we were dragged somewhere out into the middle of nowhere and forced to, you know, go on these long treks and things. As you can see, I was not a particularly athletic young guy, and I still struggle with exercise, although I have to do it now because I'm in my 40s, and yay, verily, the metabolism has slowed down. And everybody who was in their 40s says... <laughs> No, just me. Wow. Wow. Everybody who's in their 50s says. <laughs> All right, okay, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to get in trouble otherwise. You guys are naughty, man, you know. You're getting me off topic here today. I'm trying. I'm trying. Anyway. So we went on this great big trek, and um, in one part of the forest, or the, the bush that we were in, they had this big ravine 
and one of those wire bridges that goes across, you know the type that have got one at the bottom and one on each side, one of those ones? You know, and this is before the days of hard hats and clip-ons and you know, safe, you know, basic safety for kids. Um, you know, back in the 80s where life was cheap and uh, <laughs> they could get away with things that they could never do now. <laughs> Anyway, um, the, the instructor went ahead and uh, he went onto the bridge and he was jumping up and down on the bridge. He, it didn't collapse, you know. I, I know that you're hoping that it, it didn't. Um, he jumped up and down on the bridge because he wanted to show us. And he said, now look kids, you can see this thing can hold my weight. So if it can hold my weight, I'm a lot bigger than you guys are, so it can totally hold yours. And so one by one, all these kids started to cross the bridge. And I'm hanging towards the back with about two or three other kids. And my turn comes. And, and, and there was, you could either go across the bridge or they did offer an alternative way, which is the long way around. And I decided that I did not think that this bridge looked very safe. So I said, oh, no, I don't want to go across the bridge. I'm going to go the long way around. This is, this is the, the young preacher, the young man full of faith and power. I, thought, <laughs> I want to go the long way around. And, uh, and the instructor looked at me and he said, but the bridge is safe. I've shown you that. And I said, yeah, I know the bridge is safe, but I'm going to go the long way around. And he goes, do you not think that this bridge can hold your weight? I said, I'm, I know that the bridge can hold my weight. I just don't trust it. And you know, the interesting thing is, there's a difference between belief and faith. Hello? There's plenty of stuff that we say that we believe, but there's less stuff that we're actually prepared to put the weight of our life on. And you know that you've got faith for something because you're actually putting the weight of your life on it. You don't just believe it. You see, Bill Johnson talks about this thing called practical atheism. And he says it's, it's, it's a, a disease in the church today where we've got all these things that we believe and we come together and we celebrate them and say, yeah, you know, well, you're the God of miracles. You're the God of breakthrough. You can do all things, Lord. I believe in your power and we sing songs about it and everything. And then we go out into our week and we don't live any of it because ultimately it's only head belief, but it actually hasn't turned into faith. Why? Because we're not acting on it. We're not actually doing anything with it. And for belief to turn into faith, what actually has to happen, guess what, is you've got to take a risk. You actually have to step out and try the thing that you say that you believe in. You know, and I, I love this because I see so many in my own church, and I'm sure that you do it here. I mean, give me a wave if you know that God heals, if you're a believer that God heals today. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm stoked because more and more what I'm seeing is Christians who are having that boldness now to be able to reach out to someone and say, you know, not even just a church, but like in the workplace or in their family, and just say, hey, can, can I pray for you? Give me a wave if you have ever done that, kind of heart beating, but you're like, man, you know, good on you. See, that, that, that's awesome because what that's doing, that's taking belief and that's turning it into faith because why you're actually starting to put your weight on it and so often the power of God doesn't actually move until such time as we start to move you know uh, how many know when they went to cross that Jordan River the priest's feet actually had to hit the water before it, it, before it parted. I mean, you can imagine these guys walking towards it going, all right, I don't know what's going to happen when I get to the water. You know, Moses just told us just to walk through this. And so, you know, so Joshua just told us to walk through this. And so we're just walking towards this thing. And you can imagine that, that heart, heart and mouth moment. But I want to tell you guys that heart and mouth moments are part of the Christian life. That, you know, we're going to do it and we're going to do it afraid. That's okay. But you see, uh, belief turns into faith when we start to act on it, when we do something with it. And I want to challenge you this morning because what I find in, in, in many churches and with many Christians is that there's people who've been sitting there for years with stuff that they know that God has called them to do. 
You know, they, they, they keep, they've had so many prophetic words about it. And they keep reading scriptures in the Bible about it. And they, they open books and they, they drive down the, the, you know, the highway and there's some big sign about it. And yet they won't move on it because I don't know what they're waiting for. They're waiting for some big lightning flash or some big angel to appear at the foot of their bed saying, Thus saith the Lord. <laughs> it would be good, you know. And listen, I'm, I might not be a, a lightning bolt and I probably don't look like much of an angel. <laughs> Here's the word of the Lord for you. Get on with it. <laughs> Take the step of faith. How many more years are you just going to sit around and wait and wait and wait for something to take place? And Jesus is saying, come on. It's time to move. It's time to go forward. Belief turns into faith when you act on it and when you start to move forward. Who I am starts to affect what I see, and then what I see begins to affect what I do. Sometimes we've just got to take a risk. Sometimes we've just got to step out on that wire bridge, amen. We've got to do what we say we believe. And then just finally this morning, faith is what advances the kingdom of God. But you know what? Faith is also your ticket into the kingdom of God. We are saved by faith. I was reading the story recently, or the story is told of, the, of this guy who was uh, in the desert and he'd been stuck out there for three or so days. No water, his throat's parched, he's just so thirsty. And he gets to this deserted town and in the middle of the town there's a well there. And so he goes running up to this well with excitement in his heart because he's like, oh, there's water. And there's a pump there and he, so he starts furiously pumping the pump but no water's coming out. And so he falls over the, the top of the well, discouraged, and he looks up and he sees that there's a note attached to the top of the pump. And the note says this. It says, behind this well, there is a five-gallon can of water. You need to go behind and... Is this okay? Is this right? Yeah. Yep, okay. The... Behind this well, there was a five-gallon can of water. In order to start the pump, every last ounce, every last drop of that water is required. You have to pour all of that water into the pump to start the pump. And you can imagine this man, he's standing there with the can of water in his hand and he's looking at the pump on the other side. And how many know he's got a choice right now? Because... He's looking there, he's so parched, and he just wants to drink that water because it's going to immediately satisfy the right now. But he knows, though, well, he doesn't know. He has to just take it on faith. He's just got to trust that if he pours that water into the pump, that it's actually going to start the pump. And everything that he needs is, you know, kind of comes, comes into, into line. And, you know, I believe that we're, we're faced also with a choice today. You know, humanity has a problem. We're like that weary man. We're thirsty for reality. We're thirsty for something that's actually going to fill our souls and fill our hearts. And so often people will go from thing to thing. And sometimes they find like a, a, a can of water that's there and it seems to satisfy them and they drink it and it satisfies them for just a little while. But then it's all consumed. And then they stagger on to the next place looking for the next breakthrough. But the problem that we've got is that every single one of us has got a need that can only be filled by God. Amen? 
He's the only one who can do it. And the truth is that our sins and our wrongdoing separate us from God and it's a divide that no human being can cross. Not all the good works, not, not anything that we can do from our side can reach across to God. Our sins and our wrongdoing separate us from him. But the good news, though, is that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to earth, died on a cross, amen, shedding his blood for you and for me. And he took the punishment that we deserved, and then he made a way for us to be connected back to the reality of Jesus. How many believe that this morning? How many are grateful for what Jesus has done for us? And now Jesus reaches across that divide to us. And you can imagine reaching across that divide and saying, will you trust me? Will you put your hand in mine? Will you trust me and come on this journey with me? Hebrews says, anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists. There's the faith thing again. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know what? It will always cost you something to follow Jesus. But the cost of not following him is always greater than the cost of following him. And let me say this as well. Once the pump is running, you never think about what it costs to get it going. You might have to lay something down to move forward in your life with God today. And I actually sense this morning that there are things that we're holding on to that are actually acting as blockages in our life. Sometimes they're things that, that are occupying our mind and our attention and our hearts, and they're taking us away from God. And God, you know, if we want to become magnets for the power and presence of God, how many know we've got to lay those things down? And it's hard for us to lay those things down because we don't, we don't want to do it. We, we're looking at that going, but that's our water. But I want to tell you, when you take the precious things that mean so much to you and you hand them over to God, you lay them down at the foot of the cross and you say, Lord, I'm going to take my life. You see, the cost for us as Christians, to, as believers, the, the, Jesus has made the gospel free, but there is a cost and it's our whole life. And we, we never stop paying it, <laughs> ever. Even if you've been a Christian for 20 years, how many know you've got to keep paying the cost? You've got to keep laying your life down. But I want to tell you, man, that when you lay your life down, that he is so faithful. And I can say, honestly, and I know that across this room today, there will be the testimonies and the accounts of so many who would say, yes, it has cost me something to follow Jesus. Yes, it might have cost me an opportunity. It might have cost me a relationship. It, it might have cost me something that I, I love doing. It might have whatever. But you know what? I'd give it up in a heartbeat again because he's so worth it. I really believe this morning that God wants us to grow in our faith. And, uh, and I'm going to give an opportunity in a moment for us to be able to respond to this. So why don't you just stand to your feet and if the worship team could come.